This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. And now your host, he is glad he attended the ACCE conference this year, is my dad, Brandon Burton. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal here on the podcast to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions. Let's hear from Jason Mock, President and CEO of the San Marcos Area Chamber, to learn how the Holman Brothers have provided value for his chamber. Two years ago, we brought in Holman Brothers to help our organization go to that next level. And in those two years, our team has transformed the way that we think about sponsorships and non-dues revenue. And I would really encourage you, if you're looking to take your chamber to the next level, to bring on the Holman Brothers. You can learn more about Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions by visiting holmanbros.com. When chamber leaders talk about sales training, they tend to describe membership knowledge. Of course, knowing how membership works is important. However, knowing how to sell memberships is essential. Holman Brothers Next Level Coaching offers a unique balance of year-round membership sales coaching and mentoring to deliver the support your membership rep needs to consistently produce for your chamber. Visit holmanbros.com slash next level to learn more and request a free trial of Next Level Coaching. You're joining us for another episode in our 2022 ACCE Chamber of the Year finalist series. And for this episode, we have Andrew Hone with us. Andrew is the president and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, uh, Greater Portland's Chamber of Commerce, and joining the organization in 2018 with years of experience uh, with successful business association executive leadership experience. Previously, Andrew served as the president and CEO of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, which was awarded the 2017 New York State Chamber of Commerce of the Year. He's a resident of Rose City with his wife and three children. Andrew, I'm excited to have you with me today on Chamber Chat Podcast. Congratulations for being selected as a finalist. Uh, Why don't you take a minute to say hello to all the Chamber Champions and share something interesting about yourself so we can get to know you a little better. Sure. Well, thank you, Brandon. And also thank you to all the Chamber Champions out there who are listening and tuning in. Uh, My name is Andrew Hone, and again, President and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, which is Greater Portland's Chamber of Commerce, and and really happy to be here with all of you today listening in. And just to give you a little bit of background for myself, I will will admit that I am uh, born and raised uh, Wisconsin native, Uh, so I am a cheesehead, proudly owner of the the franchise, and uh, moved to Brooklyn, New York uh, when I graduated college and, and set up residency there, worked in both homeless services, in national service through AmeriCorps Vista, and then moved into politics, working for the Brooklyn Borough President, and then eventually into the Chamber of Commerce world. And then followed my wife's career out here to Portland, Oregon, uh, and settled in. And we've had our three children here and just absolutely love life in the Rose City and really, really proud to represent uh, the business community here in the Pacific Northwest and the flagship city of Portland, Oregon. So that's me. And it's good to meet all of you. Absolutely. That's great. Now, I know Oregon is a, a wonderful place and lots of great activities. So I'm sure you guys are enjoying the lifestyle there in, in Oregon. So, 
Uh, why don't you take a few minutes and, and tell us more about the Portland Business Alliance, kind of the, the scope of the chamber, um, staff, budget, just overall, um, you know, the, those key uh, key indicators, I guess, of the chamber to, to give us an idea and perspective before we get into our topic. Sure. We're, well, we are a little bit unique in so much as we're a three-in-one organization. And so that is why we are called the Portland Business Alliance. And so I'll give you a sense of what makes up that three-in-one. And first and foremost, we are the Greater Portland Chamber of Commerce. We're the leading voice of business in the region. We advocate for businesses at all levels of government to support commerce, community health, and the region's overall prosperity. And we do that, like a lot of other chambers, by offering a variety of networking events and professional development opportunities to connect and foster growth in our region's business community. And number two, we manage the 213 blocks of downtown Portland. That's the enhanced service district that's called downtown Portland Clean Safe. And then in addition to that, our number three is we are the fiscal conduit for an organization that we call Partners in Diversity. And this is an affiliate of our charitable institute. And Partners in Diversity works to create a competitive advantage in Oregon and Southwest Washington to uh, attract and retain and develop diversity influencers and professionals of color. So, so three in one, three corporate identities in one organization. And we, on the chamber side, uh, which is most relevant, I think, for folks listening in, uh, have over 2,100 members. And just on the chamber side alone, we have over 15 staff, uh, but you expanded out to the Enhanced Service District and, of course, Partners in Diversity. Uh, we tip the scale as a 25. The combined entities this year have a proposed budget of over $11 million. So we have a significant budget. Much of that is dedicated to the direct services of cleaning and maintaining and security for our downtown core, which is our obligation and contract that we have to run the Enhanced Service District. So that's who we are. And uh, this is our 152nd birthday. And so we're an old chamber uh, and we've been a lot around a long time and taken a lot of different forms and shapes. Uh, but we are very pleased that we are on our third and final year of a strategic plan that we launched in 2020. Uh, and it was our first time that we ever did that process, ever had a strategic plan since the founding of the organization. So learning wow. new things and doing our best to be our best. Yeah. When you said three in one, these are uh, different things than what you normally see chambers that are three in one chambers. So I appreciate you going into a little bit more depth with that. And uh, it, it is very different with that, uh, that scope of work. So with these Chamber of the Year finalist uh, episodes, what I like to focus on is the two programs that you submitted on your Chamber of the Year application. So we'll, we'll dive into those programs and, and get into some depth with them about what makes them work as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round, affordable, and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat, Shop, Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar, Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. 
allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. Oftentimes, Chamber Nation's customers agree that since Amazon is all centralized, then why not their own community, including their professional service providers? Since Chamber Nation includes a full-service membership services department to handle all of your new member onboarding and ongoing support at no extra cost to the members, this is now possible. Once the program is all set up, each member going forward will receive monthly membership ROI reports. The entire community will also have access to community-wide economic development reports that are terrific for supporting grant opportunities, too. With Chamber Nation, not only will you have a membership management system, but also a membership development system all in one terrific package. So save money and be impressed by visiting richardscalendar.com to set up a demo with their CEO or learn more at chambernation.com. All right, Andrew, we're back. Um, so as we dive into the the programs that were on your your Chamber of the Year application, what are, maybe just from a high level, what are the two programs? And then we can circle around into a little bit more depth. Sure. So um, by context, one of the most important things that we do here in the organization, when we approach policy and when we approach economic conditions, is that we lean heavily on the data and the science. And so each and every single year, we employ public sentiment polling, and we commission something that we call the regional state of the economy. So we lead with where are the voters and where is the economy? And that drives all of our decision-making. It drives the consideration of the board. It asks the tough questions around where do we prioritize our time and our influence? And something that's important for listeners to be aware of that helps to contextualize the two things that we put forward is that Portland and Oregon, not not dissimilar to any other place in the nation, has depth of uh, disparity that is driven in large part by race and also has an impact on geographic disparity within our region. And the state of Oregon, when it was admitted Uh, to the United States joined on the side of the union, but it built into its constitution a complete exclusion of free blacks. And so oftentimes the relationship with race and business and our region uh, is extremely troubled because of our history and because of the unique nature of the way that we entered the union. And so the data pointed us in that direction. We have monumental differences in the income and the well-being of Black Portlanders. And that is exacerbated by region. And we are in what's known as Multnomah County. And within our county, the west side is the wealthiest part of the state. And the east side is the poorest part. And it also happens to be the most diverse. So two specific programs that we submitted for our application addressed those disparities. 
the disparity between East and West Multnomah County and how we could support businesses in East County specifically by working with our partners in the federal level, state level, and county level during the darkest days of the pandemic when the closures due to public health reasons were most significant to prop up businesses that were in desperate need of resources. And that was what we did to stand up our East County CARES Act initiative. The second was something that harkened back to the immediate days after the murder of George Floyd, which was the question our black board members asked to all of us as a community, what are we doing as a business community to support black prosperity in our region? And from that was born out our second proposal that we've included in our application, which is the Black Economic Prosperity Agenda and the development of our public, private, and philanthropic effort to fund and support regional Black economic prosperity uh, for all those who live here in the region, but specifically Black Portlanders. So those are the two programs, and that's their genesis. Wow. Yeah, that it gives a good history lesson, too, that maybe a lot of the country is not aware of as far as the, the forming of the state. Um, and it really does cut the work out for you guys as a chamber to, to see that that disparity is uh, dealt with and, and to make things more equitable across the state for all the residents. Um, so I don't know if it, if it makes sense to start on one of the programs to go into more depth first or not, but um, maybe maybe let's start with the uh, the East County CARES Act. I, I, I'm assuming that had to do with somewhat with the federal aid with the CARES or am I assuming the wrong thing? <laughs> You're absolutely right. You know, and a lot of states were given latitude around how they disperse resources and who would be allocated what, and oftentimes leaned on the private sector to be able to assist in making sure that the funds got to the right places to those most in need. And uh, we received a call from the governor's office and from the county asking us as the business community to stand up and deliver in under a two to three month period of time uh, an enormity of resources specifically to East County. And there are about four different cities that live within our county that are, are defined as the East County municipalities. And so we were targeting these unique cities that oftentimes get left out from conversations around economic development because they're not quite as large as Portland, even though they're in the same county. So we stood up and formed an incredible cross-collaboration of intergovernmental agencies, philanthropy, and, and the business community to determine how we would disperse over a million dollars in resources to small businesses, with a focus on making sure that these were equitably distributed to uh, prioritize businesses owned by individuals of color uh, and make sure that the resources were sent to those businesses most impacted by closures, which should come as no surprise to people were restaurants and retail and healthcare establishments that you know, face the biggest challenges from the pandemic. And, and if you don't know this about the state of Oregon, we were one of the first into public health closures, and we were one of the last out of public health closures. So while we had a lot of differences in the way that states dealt with the pandemic, ours was the most aggressive from a public health standpoint. Uh, and at the end of the day, we all know that the more aggressive you were on the public health standpoint, the more damage that was wrought within the economy. Again, these were simple trade-offs everyone had to make, uh, but the reality was we were able to save lives but we did exceptional damage, especially to our leisure and hospitality scene. So uh, the ability to stand up the East County CARES Act was a derivative of federal funds from the state. And we led the way in establishing the criteria, 
the funding matrix, and who would get what resources. And what I'm so proud about is that we delivered over 400 grants, ranging in size of $2,500 or more. And of those 400 grants to East County businesses, all of them were small. So very small mom and pop, typically retail brick and mortar. Half of those businesses were owned by individuals of color. So this punch is way above the weight of uh, the demographics in the region, uh, but we were able to deliver it in a three month stretch of time in a way that was truly above board, financially speaking, it was an outstandingly um, well uh, propped up uh, effort from a legal perspective. And we made sure that the resources got into the hands of those that needed it in really what were their darkest hours. So that's the East County Cares Act initiative. So had, did, the, did the county come to you and say, Andrew, we need help on dispersing this, this money? Or because I know counties all over the country had federal aid given during, during the pandemic and especially with those the shutdown periods to help relieve um, you know, some of that burden put on those small businesses. But I don't think every county reached out to the Chamber of Commerce to yeah. help disperse it. So how has that relationship developed and how did that come about? Yeah, it was really, you know, our county has a, obviously just like a lot of other counties, there are various commissioners or um, the legislative side of the county government uh, has representation by district and the representative from East County knew that there was a once in a generation opportunity to capture resources and deliver it to uh, that part of the district or excuse me, that part of the county. So we were approached by the county to, facilitate and manage the entire process because they wanted to make sure that this was done in a timely fashion and that was done in a way that was it was communicated uh, accessibly in multiple different languages that was done with a, a level of financial acuity and sensibility that that the business community brings uh, alongside the accountability so they, those were the asks to us is to make sure you lead with racial equity but do this accountably and do this rapidly. And so to be able to stand up and get out the door, that amount of resources in such a brief amount of time required the thing that we all love, which is public-private partnership. And so that was the hallmark of the initiative, was bringing the resources and the guidance of government, pairing that with the expertise of business to get grants into the hands of businesses that would probably have had to go under or turn off the lights if it weren't for these resources. Right. And I think, you know, none of us want another pandemic to happen. We don't want to have to go through that whole mess again. <laughs> but, you know, if it did happen, it's good to have those relationships in place, have those public-private partnerships, have that good relationship, the seat at the table, having those conversations with your, your counties, with your cities, with those in your jurisdictions to be able to to be there as a support for the business community when the time, when, when you're called upon. So um, that, I think that alone is a, a good example of the positioning that you guys were in to be able to help execute that. Um, let's, uh, let's shift gears over to, to the other programs, the, the Black Economic Prosperity Agenda. What did that look like and, and how did you guys go about execute, executing that? Yeah, I think, you know, I would really wanna talk about how the inception and I think like so many of us, when we sat in our homes because of the pandemic and watched what was happening in Minneapolis and uh, with the murder of George Floyd, we all, we all knew that there was a time uh, that this, this felt different. 
right? And I think it was because uh, we were consuming news and information and the brutality of it was just so distinct uh, that it caused the reaction we saw around the country. Mm-hmm. And we are fortunate in our organization to have the leadership of a really thoughtful um, black business leaders and uh, from different types of companies and both as owners uh, and those that are multi-generational family-owned businesses to C-suite executives at large companies. And we really turned to them and said, what, 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 do, what can we do? Because I think there was a lot of action immediately after uh, across the country from the business community, supporting racial justice nonprofits and stepping into the space of supporting uh, social justice programming. But there was a bigger question we wanted to answer, which is what can the, what, what can the business community do? What role do we have in this conversation? Not all of it we can solve. Not, not all of it is in our lane. Not all of it is in our expertise, right? whether it's criminal justice reform or any of the other big issues that, that were brought out by um, the, the murder of George Floyd weren't always things that are just natural areas of expertise. So what role do we play? And it was decidedly um, presented and agreed upon to our board in collaboration with our black board members uh, that we would take a stand and our stand would be economic and it would be based in business. And so our board and our organization issued a statement called the invisible knee, which really hearkened to the visuals that we all saw on the TV uh, of how George Floyd was killed, but representing that in, in the manner that we speak, which is akin to Adam Smith's invisible hand and what moves the economy and noting that for too long that the black community in this country has suffered under an invisible knee that has prevented growth and shared prosperity for all of us uh, and specifically black uh, Americans. And so from the invisible knee came out a, okay, it's nice to say something, but what are you gonna do about it? And just like any good chamber of commerce, we put together an action plan. And that action plan was very straightforward. It's we need to get the data, understand what are the disparities in our region between black individuals and the rest of us? And what is a strategic plan to address those disparities? And we need to resource this appropriately and hire an individual to enact this agenda. And out of that for a two-year fundraising effort where our board of directors did for the first time ever an all board give to be able to be the first in as an investment in establishing the resources necessary to bring that agenda to light. We then brought in city, county, and state money and philanthropic money all matched to be able to stand up this initiative. We recruited from a national search, a leader uh, to advanced this agenda, who was hired just a few months ago and is working on establishing the dashboard of economic data to help guide policy and inform policymakers about what actions they can take to close the wealth disparities between Black Portlanders and the rest of the residents, and also to establish a strategic plan, actionable economic plan to close those disparities based on that data. And so that's what that program represents. The thing that has been so rewarding about it is it was a leap of faith for our board to fund it, to be the initial dollar in, and that the government and philanthropic sectors matched us nearly dollar for dollar, tells the story that 
durable change uh, comes about in ways that are collaborative. And if it was just the business community going alone on this, uh, it may not see a long life. But right now, we have investors from all the sectors that matter uh, to make change both systemic and durable. And so we're just into the launch phase. We're really thrilled with the hiring of an executive director to lead this effort. Uh, and we know that we have the seed funds necessary to enact the agenda that our organization supported and that has been backed by the government and philanthropic sectors. So that imagery of the invisible knee, I think is so powerful um, and kind of equating it to the invisible hand like you had mentioned. Um, can you share maybe what a couple of those action items look like as, as you go about to put this plan into action just to kind of give people an idea of how does the business community get involved with, with rolling this out? Yeah, it's really to look first and foremost about establishing a totally transparent open sourced dashboard around economic prosperity for Black Portlanders. So it's about the data first, just like every other thing, just like I had mentioned uh, around everything we do uh, is driven by data. And so right now there is a lack of understanding uh, from every level about what are the actual underlying data points that drive the differences. So oftentimes you'll see uh, issues around racial economic disparities called out in different ways, uh, but not in totality. So you might see, oh, there's a new analysis about how uh, there are challenges amongst Black communities in accessing capital or around wage differentials or around health disparities. But there's never a single place where all of those are aggregated into one, published annually and demonstrated around how uh, we're making progress in closing the disparities that exist. So the first action item is to establish this annual disparities dashboard uh, that allows everybody to look at either the progress we are making or not making. And then knowing whether there's a new policy or a new action that government can take or the business community can take, what lever does it pull within that dashboard? Does it close the disparities or does it worsen them? And I think that part of an awareness focusing on Black prosperity and the data points that underlie it is the, is the most important step we can take from awareness. Because a lot of times actions that we all take, whether we're in policymaking roles or in government or in business, we may have the intentions of closing those disparities. But if you don't have the facts, data, and science to back them up, then you don't have really a proof point or a concept to prove that what you're doing is the right thing. And that's just an awareness piece. So the first action that's being taken is to build out this dashboard. And then once you have this awareness and the underlying data, like any good business, when you've established what the problem is, then you develop a strategy to address it. And so born out of the dashboard, the next step will be to create a strategic plan for addressing the gaps. And they're very simple things, but it's what businesses do day in and day out. They identify where they, they take that SWOT analysis of their own services, see where the pain points are, and they create an action plan to address them. So we're just simply taking that good old-fashioned business practice about being driven by data, being driven by the science and the economics, and then creating plans to uh, ultimately address them. So those are the two major actions that we expect the executive director that we just resourced uh, to be able to take. 
I love how it's all data focused, data first, and to be able to see, you know, the actions you make, is it positively or negatively possibly, you know, affecting your goals and outcomes. And uh, hopefully you, you have a, a method of, of sharing and broadcasting what's working for all those of us who, who don't have dashboards that are plugged in. So some of those things can start being adopted more, you know, nationwide. So um, I love that though. So, Andrew, I wanted to ask, as a Chamber of the Year finalist, um, I, I see you guys as kind of setting a, a benchmark of sorts. Um, how do you view the role of your Chamber within your community? I, I think you've been speaking to it on these topics, but uh, maybe more generally, how do you how do you view your role? Yeah, you know, these two items we, we advanced for our application were really specific to uh, the role of business and race. But what I think is really important or the way that we view our role, and this is more broadly, is uh, somewhat rooted in the, the nature of Portland. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise. A lot of people have heard about Portland more in the last two years than they probably have in their entire life. And not all of it for the right reasons. And and I'm surprised yeah. you don't have a head full of gray hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to, but now it's all gone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the difference is that not a lot of people have heard from Portland. And what I think is important for listeners to understand is the political dynamic here is uh, worlds different than anything I've experienced. And as someone who's had the privilege of growing up in the Midwest, living in the Northeast, and now settled here with a family in the, in the Pacific Northwest, the receptivity to business and support of the business community in the Pacific Northwest uh, is hard to come by. The politics here are uh, not just liberal in the way that we all would understand that word, but uh, progressive is not even adequate to describe it. It is, you know, a, a, a quite astonishing level of progressivism here that just makes it challenging to work in government with government. And what is interesting from an advocacy standpoint isn't necessarily that we're fighting over, you know, tax breaks or incentives or a regulatory condition. It's that the business communities here, our top priorities really tend to focus in on issues of livability. So the explosion of the unsheltered crisis that's happened in the region, uh, public safety, cleanliness, these things are not exactly what you would call core business issues. I mean, they're important to everybody. So they're not unimportant, but they're simply not typical business issues. But what, while that seems sort of on the surface a challenge, it's presented an opportunity to be collaborative uh, with what I would call strange bedfellows for lack of a better word. Uh, so while we may look at traditional political divides as businesses over here, labor's over here, environments over there, in Portland, those divides don't exist. Uh, our partnerships, political partnerships, are not just solely business community partnerships, there with labor. We stand side by side with the AFL-CIO. We uh, work with the environmental lobby. And the reason we do that is because the issues that we all face are somewhat the same. You know, livability issues impact labor as they do business. And so it's brought us together in a way that I never thought possible. And so when you ask the question, what do I view our organization's role? 
it is the convener. And, and the one that has done more outreach to our partners that have traditionally, or that most folks would, would view as traditional opposition or opponents or you know, adversarial. Here, it's collaborators, it's partners. Uh, the individuals I rely on are, of course, my members and other business associations, but um, I'm really proud to stand with labor on issues. And we don't always agree. I'm not painting a rosy picture of just everything's perfect here. It certainly isn't. We've had our challenges, but it's also given us an opportunity as an organization to say, you know, let's not just fit in a box. Let's take the box, throw it out and do a dance on it. And uh, that's what we're doing here. And it's pretty cool because you learn that when you're in crisis, you, you don't always sit there and choose you know, the issues, the times and the battles that you'd like, but um, it's allowed us to really work with folks that we probably should have been working with <clears throat> better in, in the past. And we're learning how to do it now. And, and I hope that it continues even when we pull out of this crisis and we've recovered and, you know, we're back on top of the national, you know, rankings of places to do business and where people are moving again. So um, that's what I think our role is. It's to be a convener and to really get rid of the box. Yeah, I like that a lot. Especially, I mean, you guys are in a, a unique situation too, to being that convener and bringing everybody together for a common goal and and, and driving the city forward. Um, I wanted to ask you if you might have any tip or action item for chamber champions listening who may want to take their chamber up to the next level. What might you offer for them? Yeah, it is the so I've had a, a great opportunity. Uh, when I was the head of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, we were a finalist um, back when the convention was in Savannah. Uh, I'll never forget how hot it was. <laughs> uh, and now I'm lucky enough to lead an organization here in Portland that's never been considered for this this um, award, and. I didn't win. We didn't win. The Brooklyn Chamber didn't win back in the Savannah Convention. But I can tell anyone that's listening, first off, just competing is so much fun because filling out the application tells you a lot. It tells you what do you want the world to know about you? It tells you, are you a champion for best practices? Are you you know, breaking the ice on things that chambers have never done before and that you're proud of and that you know your board's proud of and your staff feels good about. And everybody has that. And sometimes it's just about asking the question, well, what is it? So for anyone listening and wants to ask the question, what do you do to, to get to the next level? Uh, I think it's following the arc of your strategic plan that has always paid dividends and then picking something big and going in on it and not being afraid to fail. Uh, for every good idea we've had here in the organization, uh, we've had a dozen total busts. <laughs> so um, we are well-informed by failure and that's okay. And, and also allowing your staff to fail and feel supported as long as they're trying. You know, chambers get to be innovators because every one of the individuals and members we serve are inherently innovative. That's what business does and right. is. So innovate, be bold on at least one thing, because if you can't enjoy the work you're doing, and, and frankly, whenever we do these big ideas, 
it's stuff we want to do. It's the right. stuff we like to do. It's the stuff we feel a calling to do. All of the things that I mentioned are, are big programs. Everybody on the organization feels good about it. It's the good work that we do. And so have fun with it and innovate and, and don't be afraid to fail. I think that's great advice. Go big. Uh, how i like asking everyone this question but as we look to the future of chambers how do you see the future of chambers and their purpose going forward uh you know one thing that struck me this fascinating article that was published last year by the new york times or maybe it could have been 2020 now all all the pandemic years seem like right now meshes together yeah (laughs) but uh it struck me that they identified that this one political year, I do believe it was November 2020, saw the largest turnover in municipal leadership that the country had ever seen. In other words, how many mayors had just simply declined to run again for office right. or who had you know, been defeated by a challenger? Uh, because obviously the world was not a fun place, right? It, there's, there was no good, no one had good choices to make. So you saw this leadership turnover at a municipal county level, I think across the nation, you just saw this incredible flux happening in government and chambers sit at that intersection between government and business. And so when I think about what chambers present right now uh, is the fact that we are durable. We are not a new institution. Businesses will always advocate for themselves. And so right now as society in so many ways, phrase all around us, right? We're seeing the common threads or the institutions that were irreproachable in the past, democracy. You know, yeah. like things are being called into question constantly. Chambers are that pillar of stability. And I also think reason and rational decision-making that in this environment of inflammatory rhetoric of public discourse that has turned so toxic and chambers can be the high road. And so if there's a future and there's a message we can convey, it's the one of being uh, back to that convener and collaborator role. Uh, While everything else falls around us, we're still here and we're going to be here into the future and we will help mend uh, all these torn edges in society. Right. I love that response of chambers are durable. I mean, that you always hear about chambers need to be relevant, but man, what can your chamber do to be durable? That is yeah. a, a huge takeaway for me. So I appreciate that. But Andrew, I wanted to, to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who may want to reach out and connect and learn more about how you guys are doing things there in Portland, what would be the best way for them to to reach out and connect with you? Sure. Um, Everyone should give me an email. I'm Andrew Hone and my email address is really easy. It's A-H-O-A-N as in Nancy at portlandalliance.com. So ahone at portlandalliance.com. I'd love to hear from you. I also not just want to hear about questions, but I want to hear about what you're all doing that's innovative and exciting and um, and that you're leading the way on and just wish everybody well and hope all of you are, are feeling like the future is a little bit brighter right now um, because it's been a rough couple of years. That's right. I'll get your email in our show notes for this episode so anybody can look it up there and, and uh, reach out and connect with you. But 
Andrew, I appreciate you spending time with us today on Chamber Chat Podcast. You guys are doing some great, innovative, and uh, durable work there in Portland, so I appreciate that. Um, this has been a, a great conversation, and uh, best of luck to you guys as Chamber of the Year. Thanks so much, Brandon, and take care, everyone. If you are a Chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today. For a limited time as a launch promotion, this course is being offered at a 25% discount. Be sure to purchase a course today to lock in your savings before the price goes up, even if you're not ready to start right away. Again, that's chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot.